We're going to continue talking this morning about the book of Peter. And, um, but I have to take a sidebar already because it's important that we stress and focus on what Peter stressed and focused on so that we can move forward. We must build fundamental upon fundamental. We can't run ahead too fast. We have to take time to make sure that we have the fundamentals under, underway. And I want to take the time today to talk about a very important fundamental that Peter brought up in the second verse of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. I want to focus this morning on what it means to have the sanctifying work of the Spirit in our lives. The sanctifying work of the Spirit. What is that? It's a big word. I want to break it down today. Understand what it means to be sanctified and what it means to be sanctifying. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we just invite your presence here today to inspire every word said and done that we hit your mark today, that we don't miss anything of your word, that we can clearly discern what your word is talking to us about so that we can live in it, so we can be successful in it, that we can have the victory of Jesus in our life. So I pray, Father, that you just give us the word today. Speak to us. Open up our hearts to hear what you have in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to focus on the term that Peter used to help prepare ourselves so that we can better accomplish the life that is pleasing to our Father in heaven. So what does it mean to be obedient to Christ through the sanctifying work of the Spirit? Well, first of all, what's, what's, what does sanctify mean? The sanctify, the definition, definition of sanctify means to set apart or declare holy, to consecrate, to make something holy, to free somebody from sin. So the act or the process of sanctifying must mean something like this, that it's the act of being set apart or being declared holy. It's the act of consecrating. It's the act of making something holy and the act of freeing somebody from sin. There is an action applied to the, to the term sanctify. To be sanctifying means that I am in process of doing something. I'm in process. So let me ask the question this way. Is sanctification a one-time event? Are you saved and sanctified? Or are we being saved and being sanctified? It's interesting to think about it because the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or let me put it this way, that you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, let's get it right. He's got to be our Savior before he can become our Lord. He can't be my Lord until I, he's my Savior. All right. So the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and then you make him your Lord, meaning that you are now under his ownership, you're going to heaven. That moment... At that transaction, you are saved and you're going to heaven. You don't need to do any more than that. You are saved and going to heaven the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as his forgiveness for your sins. But what happens if you live another 50 years? 
what do you do for those 50 years? You are working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And you are being sanctified, and you are sanctifying your life. You are setting yourself apart for Christ's work every day for 50 years. Even though you're saved one time, even though you're sanctified for the, to go to heaven like the thief in the cross was, you still have a process of living, and every day you have to continue to live out your sanctifying work or your setting apart work. That's why Peter makes it sound like it's much more than just a single act. It is a continual act of action. There is action applied to the word of sanctified. Wednesday night, in our Thriving in Babylon class, being led by Larry Osborne, we're having a, a video class, and it's very good. We're having about 15, 20 minutes of video, then we talk for about 40 minutes. encourage you to come. Very interesting discussion. But Larry brought up in this week's class that if we're to thrive in Babylon, which means that we're thriving in the culture that we live in today, because Babylon was considered the, the worst of the worst back in the day. And I got to imagine by looking at what's going on in our world today that we're worse than Babylon. So if we're going to not just survive, but if we're going to thrive in the culture that we live in, we need to do some things. He talked about three things. I want to talk about one of the things that he talked about. And one of the things that he said was there is a list, and on the list is the list of good intentions. And we, have, we can have good intentions to do things. But is it, is it a good intention? Is it enough? Is it enough just to have a good intention? Well, he used the story taught in the, in the parable of, that Jesus talked about in Matthew 21. And, and the, in this story, a man had two sons. And he went to his two sons and he asked them to work in his vineyard. And the one son said, no, I'm not going to work like a slave. I'm not going to do it. The other son said, yeah, dad, no problem. I'll go work in the, I'll go work in the vineyard. At the end of the day, what happened? Throughout that day, the first son that said, no, I'm not going to work like a slave, he had a better thought throughout the day, and he ended up going and working in the vineyard. And he did what his father asked. The first son that said, yes, I will, never went, never did it. So at the end of the day, Jesus said, which one was more obedient? The one that said he would or the one that actually did it? See, we need to understand that even though the first son disappointed his father greatly, I'm sure when he rejected his father's effort or his, his, his request, that it was a disappointment to his father, and his father must have been downhearted by that. But yet, he went and had a change of mind, and he did the work. Whereas the first son sounded really good. His dad must have been, oh, must have been pleased. Well, thank you, son, for going ahead and doing it. But then again, he never did it. So, actions of the first son proved his love where the inactions of the second son had great intentions. And maybe he really meant it at the time. Maybe he really said, yeah, Dad, I'll go. But maybe he got distracted throughout the day and he didn't go. Well, good intentions are often forfeited because if I don't put action to it, there's no good done. Larry went on to say that there's a whole industry of health clubs that are based upon and make lots of money on people's good intentions. Because <laughs> they will pay a monthly fee to go work at a health club, but that monthly fee doesn't burn off the calories, does it? Unfortunately, it doesn't. We need to go work it out. The old saying is very true. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. 
The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I can have great intentions, but if I don't put actions to my intentions, nothing happens. And that's exactly what it means to be living in the sanctifying process through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's where our intentions to be holy and actually becoming holy meet. It's where the intention to live a holy life and really live a holy life it's where they come together. It's where our life is changed through the completing work of the Spirit as we live out our intentions of being set apart and being holy. It's important, so important that we don't think of it this way. Well, when I get around to it, I will. Or when it's natural for me, I will. Or when I get at this point in life, when I get married or when I have enough money or when I have a vacation or when I retire, I'll do it. No, because if I'm waiting for my natural inclinations to do anything to please the Lord, can I tell you, you'll be waiting a long time because it's never going to happen. If I wait naturally for my flesh man to be obedient to Christ, it's not going to happen. If I'm just sitting around waiting for my natural desires to line up with God's word, it's not going to happen. Genesis 6, 5, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Our Father is not... Let me, let me back up. We talked about this in our membership class today. The reason that Jesus could live a sinless life was because his Father was the Holy Spirit. Our fathers are, are stained with the curse of sin. So my natural inclination, because of who I am, because of my humanity, I am cursed with the curse of sin. I don't have a choice. Do we? But yet... I can choose to allow the grace of God not only to forgive me, but to change me. And that's the process of being sanctified. You see, if Genesis 6-5 told us how wicked the human race was then, why is it any different today? Living a life pleasing to God is not a natural occurrence in the life of a sinful man. We may be good outwardly, we may appear to be good, but unless a man has a relationship with Jesus Christ, he cannot please the Father. We only please the Father through a spiritual relationship of holiness and righteousness based upon the power of the grace of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's why our sanctifying process is necessary on an ongoing daily experience. It's not a one-time experience. So what does the sanctifying process of the Spirit look like? What does it look like? If it's necessary, what does it look like? Well, first of all, maybe the word sanctify scares many people. Maybe that's a scary word. Maybe it's something that we typically, well, we don't even talk about it in our natural world. When was the last time you ever used the word sanctify on the job? Have you ever said it to anybody? No, it's not a natural word. It's not something that norm normally comes up in our normal dialogue or discussion with people. It sounds too spiritual, and it sounds, for, sounds like it's only for those who are in leadership or the super spiritual person. Or maybe it's too old-fashioned. Maybe it's something that that's just is not required anymore. That's something for our grandparents. That was something that they would say years ago in the old-time religion. 
Well, let me tell you that being sanctified is just as important today as, it, as the moment that it was first penned in Scripture. It has not lost its significance, and it has not lost its importance in our life that we must be sanctified and be in the process of being sanctified if we're going to see Jesus. Can somebody say amen? Thank you. It's a scary thing to say. Scripture is full of examples of what the sanctifying work of the Spirit is like in true believer's life. When you look at the Bible, from Old Testament to New Testament, anything in between, that the Old Testament, New Testament, the Bible, the Scriptures never disagree on any aspect of living a Christian life. There is never a disagreement in God's Word. There were 40 writers over a span of 1,600 years. And there is never once will one writer disrespects the thoughts and the, and, and, and the importance of any other writer in God's Word. Do you know why that is? Do you know why? Because they had a single source called the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Peter and John and Matthew and Dr. Luke and Paul and Peter and Moses and all the writers, they never disagreed because they were always coming from the same source. That's pretty amazing. That is a revelation to say that when, when, when John talks about sanctification and Peter talks about sanctification and Paul talk about sanctification, it means it's pretty important because they're all agreeing on it. There's not one Bible scripture that ever disagrees with another scripture. There's not one passage that says you must be sanctified and then this other one says, well, not so much. No, you don't really have to go to that level. No, they're all saying it. Every writer is saying it. It's that important. The biblical standards of sanctification are that important, and we're giving good practical guidelines and what it means and how we should live if we are truly going to be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The reality is that many of us make the process too difficult to follow. It's too difficult, and that difficulty is not in reality, but that difficulty is in our perceptions. Our perception becomes reality, and we think, oh, man, God is wanting me to do more than I can do, and I'm telling you, that's not true. God would not call you to do something that he doesn't give you the ability to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. He does not put requirements that are too lofty for you to attain. They may be difficult. They may require a sacrifice. You may have to be very intentional and very purposeful, but they are absolutely doable. God will never ask you to do something he doesn't give you the power to do. So what are some of the intentional aspects of the sanctifying process? Well, Loving God with everything that we are. Loving God as much as he loves us. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That sounds pretty encompassing. But you know what? It's not nearly as difficult as our flesh man would say that it is. Our flesh man rises up with that one and say, how can I love God like that? Well, let me tell you, you can. 
You can through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. What does it look like? What does it look like loving God with all your heart that you're completely faithful to doing whatever pleases Him and willing not to do anything that doesn't please Him? When I love something with all my heart, my, all my heart goes into wanting to please whatever I love. Come on, naturally, think about the things you like to do. Do you like to fish? You'll buy a good fishing pole. You go buy a nice boat. You make sure you got the best lures. You like to golf? You'll buy some good golf clubs. You go to the best golf courses. Whatever you love to do, your heart will go there. Love the Lord with all your heart. It must be a, a self-directed love beginning with our very being and our essence saying that I will willingly serve whatever I love. And if I love you, God, if I love you, Jesus, I'm going to willingly, purposefully, intentionally love you. And I'm not going to do anything that I knowingly will displease you. It doesn't, I, I don't give myself the deliberate act of one-time disobedience for, to satisfy this one-time passion, thinking that I'll ask God for forgiveness later. You know, that's proving you don't love with all your heart. We need to recognize, we need to see things for what they are in reality. Loving God with all your soul, with all your soul, means that He is the ultimate object and source of your greatest and deepest passions and desires. Your soul is that thing down deep inside that you really have a hard time putting a definition to. You have a hard time naming your soul. You have a hard time putting a face to your soul. When that's the thing that you have to love the Lord with, the thing that you don't fully understand, you have to love the Lord with something you don't understand. It's just who you are. It's your deepest longing. It's your deepest passion. It's the core of your affections. It is your convictions in life that you say, I am going to do something with a conviction or I'm not going to do something with a conviction. It's not legalistic. It is because it is satisfying the very essence of who I am. It's that very inner being of a person. I need to love the Lord with who I am at the very core of who I am. You can do it. You can do it. Loving God with all your mind means that you love God intentionally and deliberately regardless of how you feel about it. It means you're taking the, the, the mental capacity to say, I know what's right and I know what's wrong and I don't feel like doing the right thing right now because it's too much work for me to do or it's too much sacrifice for me to do, so therefore I'm going to take the lazy way out or the easy way out and I'm going to do this. Well, this is where your mind needs to help you to say, stop it. I know what's right. I'm going to do what's right. I'm not going to do what's wrong. You need to love the Lord with all your mind so that you don't justify things. You don't justify and rationalize your inconsistencies away. Because with the mind, we can do that. With the mind, I can justify a lot of behaviors to think that I'm better than Joe and I'm not as bad as Sally, so therefore I'm going to do what I want to do down the road when I know that that's not right. So my mind has to get engaged. It means that I need to get into God's Word and I need to ask Him for His wisdom and His guidance so that I have His heavenly wisdom as my guide, not earthly wisdom. There's a big difference between heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. Like there's a big difference between heavenly sorrow and earthly sorrow. 
I need to ask the Lord to not be quiet here. I need to ask the Lord to be, not be still here. I need to ask the Lord to give me wisdom and direction in my mind. The Lord says if you, if you lack wisdom to ask God, and he will give generously without finding fault. He will give you wisdom if you'll ask him. But you need to intentionally and purpose, purposeful ask him and then apply what he gives you in your mind. And then that leads us to loving God with all of our strength. And this means that I'm loving God with my best energies and my best efforts. I'm not giving him the leftovers of what the week holds. Did you hear me? I'm not going to come to church if I feel good enough to come to church. Calvin, great example today. I'm going to give God, I'm going to love God with all my strength, meaning I'm going to put him first of my energies. And I'm not going to give him what's left over at the end of the week. Because if you do that, what's going to be left over? Nothing. How many times do you... Wake up on Sunday morning or Wednesday night Bible study or whatever and you think, oh man, I just am too whipped. Well, where have you spent your energies? Where have you spent your time that's more important than being in the house of God? Think about it for a second. Yeah, I worked hard. Okay, great. Appreciate that. But what's that going to do for you in eternity? How many people on their deathbed are going to say, I wish I worked a little harder Versus how many would say, oh, I wish I would have spent more time with Jesus. Because you know that the moment you take your first breath in eternity, all you're going to be thinking about is Jesus. Whether you're in the pit of hell or you're walking and dancing on the streets of heaven, the only thing you're going to think about is Jesus. Guarantee you that. Guarantee you that. that when, if you don't make Jesus your first priority now, if he's your second best, and that's the way you live your life, that he's your second best... I guarantee you that when you walk into the gates of hell, you're going to be regretting that. Because Jesus is not accepting second best as good enough for him. He didn't give us his second best. He gave us the best of heaven. Jesus was the best of heaven. And not only that, but Jesus gave us the best of his efforts. He gave us the best of his energies. He gave us the best of everything he had, and he died for it. It was that important. He died for it, and he's expecting us to do the same for him. It's time that we stop playing the petty little games of religion and starting getting into the relationship of, of Holy Spirit living and then call ourselves to that relationship. Religion is not going to get you to heaven. A denominational belief is not going to get you to heaven. The only thing that's going to get you to heaven is a purposeful relationship with Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and a sanctified, living apart, setting apart lifestyle of holiness and righteousness. For without holiness, no man will see Jesus. Wow, who's talking here? They better listen to this. As I love God with all aspects of my being, I can put the actions to my intentions as described by Paul in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you, I beckon you. I call to you with all that I am. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, 
and perfect will. Do you see the urgency that Paul places on this? Do you see the, the requirements that Paul's placing on this? And remember who's really penning this. It's the Holy Scripture through Paul. The Bible is God's holy word. Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the pen of Paul, is urging us in view of God's mercy. God's mercy is great enough to forgive anything you've done. But I must, and you must, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, an act of sanctifying ourselves so that we can be set apart, holy and pleasing to God. This does not include any form of compromise with this world. I cannot choose to be sexually immoral and be holy at the same time. I cannot please to be, to be looking at pornography and be holy at the same time. I cannot choose to be a drunkard and revel in my drunkenness and be holy at the same time. I cannot. Neither can you. <laughs> Just not me. Neither can you. We have to live holy, set-apart lives. And you know what? It's not that hard. I'm telling you, it's not that hard. There's great joy in holiness. There's great joy in righteousness. There is no guilt. There is no condemnation. There is no mourning after. I don't have to worry about the morning after pill because I have an abortion. I don't have to worry about the hangover the next day. I don't have to worry about that because when I live a holy and righteous life before the Lord, there is a joy unspeakable that wells up within me that says, it is well with my soul. And I can glean that and I can enjoy that forever and ever and ever and never feel bad about it. Ever feel bad about living a holy life. That's awesome. I mean, that is worth it all right there. Some other terms that signify an ongoing sanctifying process in, in living a life are given in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Blameless and holy. How about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1? Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. You notice it doesn't say perfecting holiness to gain God's love. I'm not doing this as a requirement to gain anything from God. I'm doing it out of reverence for God because of all that he's done for me. My perfecting holiness is not to gain his love. It's not to earn my salvation. It is as a result of my reverence for God. What about Philippians chapter 1, verse 10? So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That you may be able to be pure and blameless. How about Romans six eighteen? You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I've been set free from sin. I don't have to sin anymore. Did you hear that? I don't have to sin. I don't have to choose to sin anymore. I am free from that bondage of sin. 
And we could go on to many, many other scriptures that define the sanctifying process. But all of these describe the liberating power of the Holy Spirit that frees us from the bondage of slavery to sin and to living a compromised life driven by the forces of evil. Because there is a force of evil out there that will drive us, will drive us to sin. How do you know if you're being sanctified? How do you know? How do you know if you're living this life? Well, one way to know is, are these attributes that we've just described, are they a desire of yours? Very simply, do I want to be pure and blameless? Do I want to be holy? Does it motivate you? See, one way to know that is, is that if these kind of verses challenge you and excite you to say, yeah, that's what I want in my life. I want to be that way. I can tell you if that's your desire, then you are on the process of being sanctified. You are on the road of sanctification. However, on the other hand, if these seem foreign and totally unattractive, I can't do that. I don't want that. I, I have this I want to do over here instead. If that's what you're, it's in your heart, then I'll tell you, you're not on the right road. Very simply put, you're not on the right road. You're on the road to pleasing yourself. The setting apart process of being sanctified brings life and it brings meaning to an otherwise mindless and purposeless wandering lifestyle that will go to all other forms of seeking satisfaction but never be satisfied. There is nothing that will satisfy you in this life other than the sanctifying process of Jesus Christ. All right, perfection. Perfection, though, though it's desired, let me just make this very important statement. Perfection, though it's desired, is not required because we're all human. So don't become legalistic in this and think you have to be perfect because no one can be perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. So these aspects of sanctification do not suggest absolute perfection but what they do suggest is ethical righteousness. It's the choice of my mind. What do I want? It's the intentional aspect of living a life that would strive for perfection, but yet recognizing that I'll never attain it. Therefore, don't self-condemn yourself when you fall. It doesn't give you a license to fall, but it just tells you that when you do, you've got some work to do. And that work is to ask for forgiveness. Ask for repentance and then say, Lord, help me not to fall in that again. Help me not to slip in that same dog pile again. There'll be another dog pile over here, but don't go the same one. If you've got a footprint in the one you just stepped in, then you purposely did it. If there's already a footprint, if it's already got your shoe print in that dog pile, that means you already were there and you have no right being back there. Amen? It means if you have a repeating sin in your life, it means stop it. Just stop it. That's where your mind's got to get involved. That's where your will's got to get involved. You can't justify sin away by saying, I'm just going to continue to do it because that's just who I am. No, you're not. That's nonsense. That's sin. It's not holiness. It's not perfection that we're after, but we're after ethical righteousness. It's that intentional aspect of living that would strive for it. See, mankind will take everything to an extreme. Isn't that funny how men will race anything that moves? Anything that's got wheels on, man will race it. 
I don't care if it's a go-kart or a lawnmower. They will race it. That's just the way we are. We are competitively driven people. And we will, we will just go to extremes in everything we do, won't we? We'll go to extremes in our liberalness, in our liberality. We go to extremes in our conservativeness. I can't even say the words. We go to extremes at every level we go to. So if we're extreme liberally, that means anything goes. Anything goes, and the grace of God forgives anything because we live in an era of grace. Or we'll go to the conservativeness. No, I'm, I'm legalistic. I can't wear a dress above my knees, and I can't wear makeup, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. Well, we'll go to every extreme. Here's the point. That's not what God's Word says. God's Word says, love me with all your heart, mind, body, and strength. Love me with all that. Don't worry about the extremes on either side. Just focus in on the narrow road that I've called you to be on and live that way. That's the sanctifying pr process of living through the Spirit is that we are honoring God with our actions. We're honoring God with our personality. We're honoring God with our spirit, our attitude. Everything about us should be honoring God. We live in a relationship with Jesus of continuing forgiveness of our sins. Do you hear that? John, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. My dear children, this is John speaking, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, <laughs> but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know what's interesting? John was the disciple. I think he was the only disciple that saw Jesus hang on a cross. All the other disciples fled. John was the only one that saw Jesus die. He's the only one that saw him raise, they, they spread his arms, nail him through his arms, through his wrists, through his feet. He was the only one that saw the power of sin kill Jesus. John hated sin because sin killed his best friend. Think of that. So when he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, can you see the passion in his life to say, sin killed Jesus. I saw him die. I saw him suffer for you. Don't sin anymore. Stop it, because that's what killed him. But if you do, <laughs> I know this man that died for you and me will forgive you of your sin. He'll forgive you. Now, clearly, God our Father would not have a sin, right? Does everybody understand that? I don't want anybody thinking here that I'm given license to sin, other than the fact that you're going to. <laughs> we're going to slip and we're going to fall, but when we slip and fall, He has provided an advocate for us, a helper for us, that when we have these troubles, we bring this to bear, that we are honest with ourselves and we recognize our sin and we repent that He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Goes, John goes on in the third through sixth verse of that same chapter of two. We know that we have become to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So we must live in a way of sinlessness, but yet recognize that when we do sin, we have an advocate to forgive us. Amen. It's time we stop living in our own world of justification of poor choices and compromised living.
but yet we need to write, we need to purposefully live our life the best we can. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, make every effort to live in peace and, and with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Make every effort. Do your best. Do your best. Dr. Michael Brown writes, he wrote a book called Go and Sin No More. Go and Sin No More. It's a really good book. And he quotes Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26, 26 through 27. He quotes this, and then he says something about it. But let me read this. Hebrews chapter 10, 26 and 27. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Powerful verse. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we're saved. There is no sacrifice left for sin. By deliberate sin. Michael Brown goes on to say, he says, it is one thing to struggle, all of us do. It is another thing to be a deliberate, willful sinner. It is the one thing to slip and fall, who doesn't? It is another thing to habitually and consciously say yes to the flesh, and no to the Spirit. Those who live like that as purposeful, willful, deliberate, continual sinners behave like God's enemies, not his friends or his servants. How can they truly call him Lord? How can we call him Lord, Lord, and then be sinful man? Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. You can go home and read that yourself. But just top line it, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but it's only those that are truly seeking a relationship with Jesus. So how do we accomplish all this? I know we've just talked about a lot of material here. How do we talk? To, how do we do this? Well, first of all, we're not alone in the process. You're not alone in this process. Rest assured that if God requires holiness and a set-apart, sanctified life so that we can see him, that he will give us the help to get there. You're not alone. Call on Christ. Call on the Holy Spirit. It's a joint process. He provides the way and the power, and we choose to live in it. He provides the way, he provides the power, and we just choose to live in it. It's pretty simple, guys. It really is. It really is pretty simple. Romans chapter 6 you can read through that. I'm not going to read through it this morning. Verses 1 through 7 and then all the way through um, 14. It talks about how we have the power to say no to sin. Roman Paul gives a good argument here about how we can walk away from sin. How we don't have to live in it anymore. How we can be victorious in it. That we don't have to be slaves in it anymore. That if we died to Christ... That we, that we will also live with Christ. The death he died, the death Christ died, he died to sin once for all. In the same way, we can count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's in our power to do that. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't choose sin anymore. You don't have to obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness and, right, and unrighteousness, but rather offer yourselves to God as an instrument of life and righteousness. 
For sin no longer has to be your master. Because you are not under law, but under grace. Grace means I don't have to sin, not just forgiveness when I do sin. I don't have to sin. Jackie, if you'd come. We're going to have communion in a little bit. I just want to summarize that the Christian life is to be a continuous, sanctifying, set-apart life of holiness, of choosing the things that please the Lord and choosing not to do the things that I know are going to displease the Lord. See, if you're a true Christian, this brings joy to your spirit. If you're an on-defense Christian, this is a hard word. If you're one that's living in the world, but yet you want to be called a Christian, this is one of the verses, this is one of the sermons that you would just want to walk out of right now because it seems too hard, too unrealistic. But here's the choice that you have to make because you have to make the choice. Are you going to commit your life to Jesus or not? Are you going to live the, unho- the, the holy set-apart life? Are you going to be sanctified? See, we can't even begin to talk about the rest of First Peter until we get this point established. It didn't make any sense to go to verse 3 if we don't get verse 2 figured out. Verse 2 says, I have to be willing to live a sanctified life. I have to be willing and a desiring to be holy, a desire to be righteous, a desire to be set apart, a desire to please Jesus, and not to willfully do the things that I know don't please him. Michael Brown says one more thing about holiness. Holiness is not an option. We are called to live holy lives, and that it is a divine requirement. Anything else is disobedience. That's why the word is so strong on this subject. The writer of Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, you're not going to see Jesus. Not perfection, holiness. Holiness means repentant. Holiness means intentional. Holiness means I'm going to live my life different this afternoon than I did yesterday. If I'm not living that way, if you weren't living that way yesterday, then you better have a change in your heart this afternoon. If you were living that way, then I'm just encouraging you to continue to live that way. So it's your choice this morning. No one can make it for you. No one can make the choice for you. You must make it yourself. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we just come to you and we just bow down before you. And Lord, I seek your forgiveness. I repent of my willful sin. And I declare your lordship of my life and of this church. And Lord, I just choose now to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. I choose you today, Father, to be the Lord of my life truly once and for all, that I would not do things intentionally to displease you. And when I do slip and fall, Jesus, I know that you're there to pick me up 
And I thank you for your mercies and your grace. This morning, as your eyes are closed this morning, I don't know where you're at. I have an idea where many of you are at, but I don't know for sure. I really don't know. Only you know. Where is your heart this morning, clearly? Are you living a sanctified life? Do you want to live a sanctified life? Do you want to? Does this bring joy to you this morning? Does this bring a, 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 a lively step You know, it's up to you this morning. We're going to have communion, and this is a perfect time to repent. This is a perfect time to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. If I've got to make some changes, Lord, make them known to me. Let me know clearly what I need to do to be different this afternoon than I was yesterday. Even before I come up to take communion, would you just make my heart clear? Show me, Jesus. This is a personal thing. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front this morning. I'm not going to ask you to even raise your hands this morning. I just want to, I'm just going to ask you to deal with your heart because it's that important. Most important thing anybody could ever ask you to do is look at your heart and evaluate it for yourself. So, Father, as we come to take communion today, be gracious. Help us to know your word. Help us to act it out. Help us to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now this morning, as we always do, would you come forward? We want to have communion here to, around the, the altar together. We just want to celebrate what it means to be in the life of Jesus and to celebrate the communion. You, don't have to, you do not have to be a member of this church. All you have to do is know Jesus. If Jesus is in your heart, then communion is for you today. Amen. It's recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is an act of past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. I'm celebrating the past and that Jesus died for my sin. I'm making it the present because I'm applying his sacrifice to my life. And I'm celebrating the future because one day we're going to be with Jesus one more time and he's going to serve us communion. He's going to have the cup and he's going to have the bread of life and he's going to we're going to celebrate it around this table. So it is a celebration of past, present, and future. It's a great thing, isn't it? Amen. Let's just celebrate. Would you hold up the cracker? And let's recognize what this is. This is the, blood of Christ, or the, the body of Christ broken for us. Broken and beaten. Destroyed. Torn apart. Because of my sin. And because of your sin. Amen. Let's partake together of the cracker. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for providing the payment of sin for me. As I hold up the cup and look at the juice, this represents the blood of Jesus. This is the life blood of Jesus. Yes, it's grape juice. It's not going to be anything different than grape juice, but it represents the blood of Jesus. 
It represents the life that he's given me forever and ever and ever, that I will never die. I will just transition from this fleshly body into a heavenly body, and my spirit man will live forever and ever. And really, I am beginning a whole new life based upon the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the future. That's what we're celebrating right now in the present tense because I'm applying it to my life, to my sin. And it's just not just covering my sin, it's blotting them, it's taking them away. It's justifying me just like I'd never committed the sin because Jesus doesn't forgive or he doesn't remember. After he forgives, he doesn't remember. Therefore, I can celebrate my future. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's participate. Let's partake together of the, of the drink. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And now, and now we must worship him. We must thank him. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've accomplished so that I can have a future and that my future can be secure in who you are. Amen. Father, go with us throughout this day today. Lord, as we take this sermon that we preach, as we apply it to our life, Lord, I pray that it be true. I pray, I pray that it be relevant. I pray, Father, that we will remember as this as we go forward in our days today that this isn't something that we forget about. But, Lord, I pray that we actually apply the sanctifying work of the Spirit in our life today, that we will continually be set apart, continually be made holy, and that we will want to be made holy that we will want to live a set-apart life, that we want to bring pleasure to you by that. So I pray blessing on this church. I pray blessing on these people as they go. I pray, God, life, eternal life, happiness, joy, and peace in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed day in the Lord. Amen. He's a good God, and he loves us so. Amen.